but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, we are so grateful. We're excited because your son is alive, and we came into this room, Lord, and some of us were tired, and we had weeks that we just don't even think about, and that's okay. We can put those things aside. We can cast all our anxiety and cares on you because we know you care for us, and we know that ultimately Christ is alive. He has risen. He loves us. He has demonstrated that, and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us, and so I pray Holy Spirit, as we come to the Word of God, that you would just give us some encouragement and some challenging and some uh, just wherever we're at, whatever we need, Lord, you know us. You know our hearts. You know our minds. And so I pray that you would meet us in this room. I pray that you would use me, a broken man who needs this text four times just to get into my head and heart. I pray that you would speak through me despite the fact that I fail in these areas that I am preaching a perfect text and a perfect Savior, not a perfect man, Bill. Uh, And I just ask that you would fill me so that your church is equipped, Lord, that they are equipped to follow you, to be witnesses, to be lights in this world where we look around and there's this tragedy all around us. We have this horrible disease that has found its way here and it's just destroying so many in Africa. We just pray that you, the great healer, would stop it, that through doctors or even miraculously that you would just save lives and that you would protect us from this. Lord, for, for those who are at, on the opposition of this, uh, these extreme Muslims who are killing people, Lord, that you would, uh, our brothers and sisters, just give them perseverance and protect them uh, as they face this, this evil, evil enemy who seeks to destroy your name but can't uh, because you are greater than he is in us than he is in the world. And so we just pray for them and pray that that you would shine through us and that no matter where in the world people are oppressed for the name of Christ, that the, the gospel continue to spread as we've seen. And may it spread here in Savannah so that people can experience joy and contentment and satisfaction in Christ and in him alone. It's in his name we pray and for his glory. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat and turn to Acts 5, the book of Acts. We are eight weeks into our series on the book of Acts. If you're new or visiting or you just kind of forgot, haven't been here for a couple weeks, Remember, the book of Acts is the second part of of Luke's duology, for for lack of a better term. He wrote the book of Luke. That covers Jesus' birth through the ascension. He writes the book of Acts. That covers the next 30 years. What takes place next from the ascension of Jesus to the first 30 years of church history? And before Christ ascended into heaven, before he went back to the Father, he told his disciples, y'all are going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify to me. You're going to point people towards me, towards my grace, towards my love, towards the hope that is in me. And the only way you can do that is when you have the Spirit, my Spirit in you. You will receive that power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit comes. He starts working. The church is blowing up. By this time, conservative estimates are 20,000 people, all right, just a few chapters in. And what are they doing? Very simply, they're committing themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, to living life together. 
And as they do that, we've seen the enemy is opposing now. Satan's coming in, trying to stop it from the outside, persecution from the inside with pride. But no matter what he does, it keeps moving on. And we're going to come to another narrative today. It's, it's just a great, great narrative. It's got all the elements of a great story. It's got the good guys. It's got the bad guys. It's got an escape scene. You know, you got Steve McQueen on the motorcycle. No, you don't have that, really. But you do have a great escape scene. You have a great ending. You have a little humor, a, a little love. You have it all in this, in this narrative. And what it is, when we get down to it, it's just a day in the life of the apostles. We, now, we understand we could talk about persecution every week for the rest of the book because it's going to happen almost every week. But because we dealt with it a couple weeks ago, I don't want to necessarily deal with persecution today. What I do want to do is just kind of zoom in on this is one day in the life of the apostles. Because this is their life. This is how they live. And if you remember, why do we have the scripture? It's not so you can be smarter. Well, we need to have sound doctrine. Every time Paul says, preach sound doctrine, you know what he says next? That accords with godliness. The purpose that you have any kind of doctrine is so that it's lived out in your life. It's not so you get smarter. It's so you know the truth and the truth is lived out in your life. And so God has sought to put this in the text for us today. And there's a reason. There's a reason we have this narrative for us to see what does it look like for these apostles a day in their life. And, and, you know, and I just want to work through the text Explain the text quickly, and I want to come back and I want to highlight a couple things, because there's certain things in their lives that are just true every day that I think are essential for us that need to be true every day if we're going to be witnesses, if we're going to continue to point people towards Christ, if we're going to live our lives for his glory. So let's just jump in, verse 12 of chapter 5, and we're going to cover to the end of the chapter. For those of you doing your homework next week, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that's seven verses, all right? That's like really easy to do. Like it's one verse a day. All right, that takes like 13 seconds, maybe. All right, so make sure next week when you come, you've read through chapter six, verses one through seven, so you're ready for William as he brings the text next Sunday. Verse 12, a day in the life of the apostles. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. A day in the life means this. They're still hanging out in Solomon's portico. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, here's your map of the, of the Herodian temple. This is Solomon's portico, this big, long porch that goes all the way to here. And thousands of people could gather. And they were just hanging out under it. That was the place they gathered. That was their place. So a day in the life meant they were hanging there. A day in the life also meant that they were doing miracles, they were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. It is the apostles doing miracles, by the way, not just your ordinary Joe. That's important because in the day and age when everyone's claiming to do miracles on TV and blah, 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 in the early church, who was it that was doing them? The apostles. And it wasn't a normal thing for anybody else. If it was, it wouldn't be a miracle. All right? If you look at the whole of Scripture, there's very few people that actually perform miracles. Only four in the Old Testament, Moses and Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, and then you come to the New Testament, Jesus and his apostles. Right? And so it's a big deal because God is validating these guys and they're doing things that are blowing people's mind and he's validating the message of the gospel because people say, wow, did you see what happened? So a day in the life means they're hanging there. A day in the life means miracles. A day in the life means that none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. They're over there and everyone sees them, but they don't want to get too close because they're a little bit... If we get close, then the Pharisees might think that we're with them and we don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue, but man, those are good dudes. There's a little bit of a standoffishness 
as they go, a day in their life. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. The church, a day in the life, is the church is blowing up. In fact, Luke stops naming numbers now. He stops counting. He said 3,000 here and 120 here and, and 5,000 here. He doesn't give any numbers anymore. It's just gotten too big. He can't count. He's just saying it, God is adding to the people, men and women. They're just coming. And what are they doing? So that even they carried out the sick into the streets and laid him on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some. I mean, imagine that. Remember what Jesus used to go everywhere? It used to be so crowded, no one could get to him. Now all 12 of the apostles are facing the same thing. I mean, people here, they're coming down the road. They get granny. They throw her out front. They don't throw her. They kind of scoot her out front so that Peter might walk by and the sun is on this side and his shadow hits her and she, she's healed by his shadow. And everywhere they go, it's just chaos. People are just gathering to Jerusalem from the towns. They're coming to Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They're just ministering to thousands of people and healing and casting out demons and laying hands and praying and teaching. That's what their day looks like. And the church keeps blowing up. And then, of course, you got the bad guys. A few bad guy music, you know, dun it, dun it, whatever it is, right? Verse 17, but, big contrast there now. Everything's going great, but you always got the but. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Notice again, they are filled with jealousy. We're gonna come back to that. But the apostles are filled with what? The spirit. These guys are filled with what? Jealousy. Jealousy, and so they arrest him. And what we have next is the first of three jailbreaks in the book of Acts. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. We don't have any details of the jailbreak, just the angel shows up. How did he get by? How did he open the door? We don't know. He just opens it. The 12 guys come out. He says, go preach the message of this life, i.e. the gospel, that the Messiah is Jesus, that he died for sins and resurrected. And so when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. So they obey him. And here's here's where the narrative gets humorous. Enter again the religious guys. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Here's all the mean, angry, eyebrow religious guys, right? They're all got funny hats on. Some like some of you guys, you came in with angry eyebrows. You're like, you got your big King James, like, coming to church. Don't make me smile at church. Right? And, and so that's you, right? And that's them. They're angry eyebrows. And they got, they're waving their arms and go get them. And we got religious things. We got to go to Barnes after. We better be done on time. And we got all this stuff in religion. Right? And that's them. All right? Go get them. Bring them here. We got to talk to these guys and deal with these guys. Verse 22. But when the officers came, they didn't find him in the prison. So just think about that. All right, this is, you got to put yourself in the narrative now. Don't just kind of, you know, oh, yeah, that was great. Mr. Policeman goes to the, to the jail. There's Barney Fife standing there with his one bullet. He's like, sir, how are the prisoners? Quiet, sir. There must be shaking in there. All right, open the door. Shh, open the door. Go in. Hey, Barney. Sir, where are they? Where are who, sir? Prisoners. They're in there shaking, scared, sir. Nobody in here, Barney. Twelve guys missing. Now, it's not just Peter and John. It says the apostles, 12 guys. How did 12 guys 
go missing. And you know the first thing he's thinking is, I got to go back to the angry eyebrows. Tell them. I got to go back and tell these, these mean dudes. So they did it. And they sent to the prison to have them brought. And when the high priest came, next door, and when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, um, sir, yeah, we're the prisoners. Well, we found the prison securely locked. Okay, yeah, we're the prisoners. And the guards were at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. What do you do with that? Well, I'll tell you what they did. Then when the captain of the, of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, and it's, it's emphatic about them. And they were wondering what this would come to. What that means, they're wondering what it would come to. They're worried. They just lost these dudes. Everyone loves these guys, all right? This is Peter, James, John, Matthew. Everyone loves them. Everyone knows that they've been arrested. And so everyone's coming to them and saying, hey, we're the apostles. We don't know. We lost them. What do you mean we lost them? They are nervous what people are going to do. And so you can just imagine how they are just befuddled and they're wondering and they're talking, it's your fault and you shouldn't have done this and what is wrong with the cops in this town? We put one guy in a grave and he comes out and we can't find him and we got 12 guys in a jail and he comes out, we can't do anything right. And they're just blaming and as they're yelling at each other and they're talking, all of a sudden one guy's like, um, y'all? And, and you can just see him kind of reach out his hand and point. And, and the narrator puts you into it. He, he, he lets you bring it, he said, Someone said, uh, men, look, is that your guys? They're down there in the temple. The men who you put in prison are standing in the temple, and they are teaching the people. They're right there. And so there's this kind of mad dash to run down. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. Why? Because they are afraid. Who's afraid here? The, the religious guys or the apostles? The religious guys. Right? They're scared. Because they don't want what the people think about them. And they bring them and they said, set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet you have, again, angry, swinging arms. You have filled Jerusalem with this teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's an interesting statement. Because 60 days earlier when Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with him. His blood is on your hands. You know what the Jewish people said? His blood is on us and on our children. They invited it then. What are they saying now? You're trying to blame us. Right? Exactly right. And here's what Peter says. He gently responds, but he responds with truth. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. And, and I love how he identifies with them. He, he brings them into this discussion. He says, the God of our father, circle that, it's our father, it's our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, and God exalted him at his right hand, and he is leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Who's he talking to? Them. They're Israel. He's offering them right now a chance to believe. He says, God has done this for you so you can have forgiveness. And we are what? witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. It's not just us. The Holy Spirit of God is a witness whom God has given to those who obey him. He says, y'all, you, you, you cursed him, God raised him. You humiliated him, God exalted him. You killed him, God raised him, and he is the leader. He is the savior. He gives forgiveness, and we are witnesses of this, and not just us. The Holy Spirit is a witness and so we have to obey him 
and not you, and they are hot. When they heard this, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. Why? Because the angriest people, y'all, in the world are religious people who can't control other people. Because they, get, they just can't control it. And it's, you should be doing this. And they get mad. And they want to kill them. And there's, thankfully for them, a, a voice of reason, verse 34. A Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel. Now, this guy's a famous dude. You can, you can read about this guy outside of Jewish, in Jewish history. He's in the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of the Jews. He was a highly respected teacher. In fact, he has a very famous pupil that he is mentoring that we're going to be introduced to in just a couple weeks. His name is Saul of Tarsus. In fact, he learns the Old Testament law from this guy. He was one of his stud pupils. And this guy is a voice of reason. And look what he says. He's a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. He stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up from the days of the census, drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who follow were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. It's great advice. I wonder one day if this guy made it, if he ended up believing in Christ. I wonder if Paul went back to him. Because this is very, he's a good dude. What he's saying is this, look, y'all, we've got, we've got false messiahs all the time. We've got these guys, Theodius and Galilean, and they came to nothing. If this is a man-made deal, it's going to fail. But if it's a God-made deal, what are you going to do about it? Because if it's a God thing, then you're on the wrong team, Jack. So you better be very careful that you're not opposing this guy because he might be God. And if he's God, we in trouble. So just let him go and let's see what happens. Let's play it out. And so they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. That's the word for being flogged. This is not punch buggy arms, one punch in the arm, you go out. This is a leather whip with three pieces of leather that they would whip across the chest and the back. They could give you 39 lashes. 40 was considered too much. It was considered excessive. So they could give you 39 and it would tear you up. It would shred the skin. It was so brutal that some people didn't make it through. They died. And they shredded them. They beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And when they're walking away, they're not skipping. Let me just tell you, they are limping, they are carrying each other, they are beaten and bruised. But notice what they're doing. They left the presence rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Did they go back to the temple? <laughs> Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ, that Christ is Jesus, that he is the Messiah. Now, that's a day in the life of the apostles. That's, that's normal stuff. And I realize that for most of us, that, we can't relate to that. I mean, I, I can't relate to getting beaten for Christ. But you gotta remember, what we have experienced in America the last 400 years is, is the exception, not the rule. For 2,000 years, the, the reality of the church, for the most part, is martyrdom and persecution. 
And in almost every place in the world today, that's the way it is. So, so I realize that most of us have never seen this, but that's, that doesn't mean no one has, okay? But there's still lessons for to be, us to be learned about the, the day in the life of these guys, okay? There's still things that need to be true that are true of them, and the principles are the same, even though the application is different. But let's first say, let's talk about the bad guys, because there's something in the bad guys that cannot be true of our day in the life. And it's true in a lot of churches and a lot of Christians, and so let's deal with it. If there's one characteristic of these religious, mean, angry eyebrow guys in this text, what is it? It's jealousy. What does it say? They were filled with jealousy. And let me tell you, there's three things about jealousy I want you to see and why it just cannot play a part in our lives. Number one is because jealousy is just flat out ugly. There is nothing uglier than religious, jealous, angry people because it's about control. They're not keeping the rules. Do you believe that they do that? I can't believe that they would do that and God would still bust that. Did you know that they listen to Q102 and they don't listen to Christian radio? I can't believe that they would do that. Oh, I saw them out and they, had, they were out at dinner and had a glass of wine. Can you believe that family? Can't believe them. God can't bless them. And they get mad and you slander and this. And here's the reality. People get mad about other people. Here's why. Because they want to be doing what they don't feel free to do. I wish I could, I wish I could go dance and they go dancing. I won't go dancing because I'm Mr. Religious Angry Eyebrow Guy. And if I go dancing, people won't think well of me. But they go dancing and I'm mad that they're going dancing. And so I'm going to talk about them and act like I'm holier than them. Lord forbid they go have a good time. Christians having a good time, Right? But angry, religious, jealous people don't want to have a good time. They don't want you having a good time because they never have a good time, so they want everyone to be miserable as they are. And some of y'all that way, right? Because you're just mad. Can't believe that. Man. Did you hear they got the promotion? Did you hear they got the, their kid made the, the team? Yeah, I did. But did you know this about them? And it's always something negative. Did you hear what happened to their church? That they baptized 37 people last week and all these people got saved and this was all these marriages got restored. Yeah, but that church waters down the truth. You know, and they, they do this and they were amalabobos, whatever. They're 17 pointers over there. Yeah. We always got to downplay. Why? Because there's jealousy. Because we wish it was true of us. Right? We're mad because my husband didn't get the promotion and and. And we don't watch PG-13 movies. And how come they got to go see PG-13 movies and her husband gets it from her? And we're mad. And there's nothing more ugly than Christians who are jealous. It's an ugly deal. It's just ugly. And you know what's, you know what's awesome? Let me tell you what's awesome. I sat across the room last week, last Friday. I spoke at the Pivot Conference for Men in the afternoon. And I sat across from the pastor of the biggest church in this, in this town, Cam Huxford. And he gave me a big old hug, and he, was, he said, man, I am excited about what's going on at CBC. That was awesome. I sat across from, from Kenny over at Calvary, and he gave me a big hug, and he said, man, we are pumped at what's going on at your church a quarter mile away down the road. Saturday morning, I'm with Neil Stewart from Kirk of the Isles Prez, and he's like, Bill, we are thankful for your ministry in this town. That is awesome. Now, there's a bunch of grumpy pastors in this town. There are, but there's some good dudes that are excited about what's going on here, and we need to be excited about what's going on. Yeah, but don't you know that they do this? Yeah, and if Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice, 
even if it's with false motives. That's what Paul says. But you know, you know what they do over there? They... Yeah, I do. They talk about Christ. That's what we talk about. And that's the way it needs to be. It's an ugly thing when people are jealous in the church. It's ugly. Right? And it's ugly. If God is blessing that person and God is using that person and you are mad about it, there's something wrong about that. There's just something wrong. Right? It's just an ugly thing. You sh- we should be glad. And if you're wondering, well, it's not fair because I'm doing this and doing this, you need to remember Jesus' words to the apostle Peter when Jesus says, you're going to die when you get old for me. And he looks over at John and says, well, what about him? What about, well, tell me what's going to happen to him. Is he going to die? And Jesus says, you follow me. And you don't need to worry about him. This is what we're telling our kids all the time. But do you know he didn't go to you. What are you doing? You follow me. And if you're kind of struggling with that, what you need to hear this morning is you follow Christ and don't worry about what God's got for them because you have no clue what God's got for them. And he can take care of them because he is sovereign. You follow him. It's ugly when you don't. Another thing about jealousy, it is blinding. Think about what these guys are missing. An empty tomb, a resurrected savior, an empty jail. All Shawshank Redemption-like. I mean, this is miracles. They are missing miracles after miracle. Lame guys getting healed. Granny's running marathons. So you got all this great stuff going on, and they're missing it because they're bad. They're like the Grinch looking down at Whoville and just mad. Can he steal their presents? And all they need is a hug. That's what they need. They just need a hug. Some of y'all need a hug, you angry eyebrow guy. You're, you're loosening up a little bit. We'll get you by the end of the service. But if they would just loosen, if they would just release their jealousy, they could be part of this deal. They could walk out of their angry eyebrow office, walk over to Solomon's portico, get a hug from Peter, and just experience the joy of the Lord. But they won't because they're mad. Aren't some of you sick? of being angry and jealous for other people. Aren't you sick of you competing? My kid made this and your kid, aren't you sick of that? Don't you want to experience the joy of being able to celebrate your kid did awesome? God is blessing you. It's a freeing thing. Right? Don't be blinded. Think about what you're missing. You know, the, you know the best way to overcome jealousy of somebody else? I'll tell you the secret. It's pray for them. Pray, if the other company is doing better than you, the other church is doing better, the other ministry, pray that God will bless them a thousand times more. It is hard to be jealous of the person you're praying to God to bless. It's just, it's, it's flat out impossible. Not if you're serious. I mean, God bless them and nuke their brain. I'm not talking about that. I'm, talk, <laughs> I'm talking about God bless that ministry. It's hard to be jealous. It's blinding. And then finally, look. It's a dangerous place because you could be on the opposite side of God. That's what Gamaliel says, right? He says, hey, what if we're wrong? We're on the wrong team. Not a good place to be when God's on the other side. If you're mad about what God's doing over there, not a good thing. You don't know if God is blessing them, using them. So it's, it's best for you to stay out of it and let God deal with it. And like Peter said, you follow So let's not let jealousy be part of our day in the life. It's not for the disciples. For religious, angry people, yeah. That's not who we are, right? That's not who we are. 
What are we? Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I love about the apostle. One overarching characteristic about these guys that just stands out to me, and it's so simple, but it's, it's who they are. It's this. It says they value the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else. The highest priority in their life is the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's it right there. And it reflects itself in three ways. I mean, they love him, they speak of him, they live him, but there's three big things that they do in this text because they so value him. Here's the first thing. Because they value Christ, a day in the life means that they are people-oriented. They value what Jesus values. What did Jesus value? People. What are they doing? They're laying hands on people. They're casting demons out of people. They're touching lepers and the marginalized and the poor and the weak. They're, they're with the people. Yeah, but they're also teaching. They're teaching the people. Speak about the words of this life. To who? The people. Their ministry is people. It's not this high ivory tower. They are with the people. And I think they finally get, they finally understand what Jesus was trying to teach them. Remember when all those people are there and they're hungry and Jesus preaches a sermon and he says, Jesus, they're hungry. Send them all to Chick-fil-A. Get them out of here. We don't want them here. And Jesus says, you feed them. We feed them. And Jesus teaches them a lesson. But you know what they're finally learning? Now they're feeding them. Now they're with them. They're, they're with the people. And here's what we have to remember. As we grow and as God adds to the number, because that's what he does, we cannot forget that we are not just some ivory tower corporation with all these things. We are about people. Don't come here on a Sunday morning to hear a sermon and miss the people that are sitting right next to you. Don't blow off the greeting time because I just want to take notes so I can go and read. I want to read my quiet time and read my paper and read my this and read my that and miss the people. Because if you miss the people, you miss the point. You were a witness of Jesus for what? The people. It's a simple thing, but it's so easy to get caught up in. Let's do ministry. Let's do ministry. The people. Who are you missing? Anybody? And look, people are hard because they're messy. Some of them are annoying. They take time, make sacrifices. That's hard. And that's what Jesus has called us to do. I'll tell you, I stink at this sometimes. Let me be honest. I stink. I'm thankful I have a wife that, that reminds me. She, she does a great job at this. I don't. She's not perfect, but she does a, a lot better than me. And we've had a couple weeks in our house, in the Fowler house. Been, 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 been a hard couple weeks. But I've seen my wife shine in this way. Our neighbor who is moving comes over and says, our washing machine's broke. Can we use yours? I'm thinking, we got six people in our house. Laundry taller than me, which is not saying much, but that's a lot of laundry. (laughs) There's this thing called the laundromat up the street. Costs 75 cents. But you know what she does? She washes her clothes. About people. Last Saturday night, 8.30, I'm reading through my sermon, I have my little thing, the way I do my thing, and I don't like you messing with it when I'm doing my sermon. I got my frozen pizza and my sermon on Saturday nights. Don't take those two things away. (laughs) Frozen pizza, tombstone, sermon prep, don't get in my way. Neighbor across the street, two kids, says, hey, I'm taking my wife to the hospital, EMS is coming, can you come watch our kids? I'm like, well, we got four, who's going to watch ours? Because I got pizza, (laughs) I got sermon. My wife goes over and sits there till 2.30 in the morning. It's about people. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it messy sometimes? Yeah. You forget it, you miss the point. Right? 
Jesus loves the people. We got to love the people. And that's what a day in the life of the apostles, don't miss the people. Who in your life? Your neighbors? People in your life need this words of life. They need them. Right? Your kids need it. Your neighbors need it. The lady at Starbucks needs it. And you have no clue. Look, the needs at our church are so great, they are overwhelming. I can't even begin to tell you. I, because of my position, I just know so many things. that struggles that are going on in this church right now you cannot fathom some of you. And the people that you think have it most together are typically the ones who don't. And the body has to be there for the body. And some of you, that means you're going to have to stop hiding the fact that you have needs and you're going to have to start sharing with others. And some of you are going to have to start giving yourself and, and stop missing the opportunities to be the body. Because if a day in the life has got to be about the people if you value Christ. When you value Christ, you value what he values. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing is that when you value Christ, you will be obedient. I mean, look at, again, this is shocking to me, y'all. I'm sorry. So the angel shows up and says, go back to the temple and teach. Bill Fowler, sitting in the back, says, question, Mr. Angel, who just came from the presence of God. I don't know why I'm asking you a question, but I'm asking you. Isn't that the place we just got arrested? Wouldn't it not be a good idea to go back there right now? Shouldn't we go to, like, another city or maybe another road? Or maybe wait a couple days. What do they do? When it, verse 21, when they heard this, they entered the table at daybreak. Now, the temple is not open 24 hours. It's not Walmart. It has an opening and a close. They're there when the gates open. How many people are at the temple at 6 a.m.? I don't know. But they're there, and they start teaching at 6 a.m. Why? Because they so value Christ, they're going to obey him no matter what. That's a radical thought. But here's where we have to be as a church, that we so value Christ that we are not willing to put anything in the way of our fellowship with him. So when you're flipping through channels late at night and that movie, that show that you know is improper comes on and there's no one around, that you so value your relationship with Christ that you're like, boom, I'm out of here, boom, I'm running that you flee immorality, that your online activities, that you so value Christ, that you be willing to cut your right hand off, i.e. the internet for some of you, because you can't handle that, and it's not worth sacrificing your fellowship with Christ for that shame and that guilt that you keep struggling with. That's that, what it means. It means teenagers, that you know your parents said, I don't want you driving with all these kids in the car, and I know you're supposed to be going here, and you're over here, that you so value Jesus that you're not gonna lie to your parents and hide where you're going and stuff, because you know you know that it hinders your relationship with him. That you want to be married, but you're willing to be alone for the right reasons and be with the wrong guy. Right? So you so value Jesus and trust that he will make up the difference. And when there's peer pressure to go over there, to go to this place that you know, men, that the guys are going out after work and they want you to come, and you're willing to say, not, well, my wife would kill me if I did that. Don't you dare throw her under the bus. Don't you dare do that. Oh, I'm tired of your work. No, you say, guys, I am so thankful that you guys want to hang with me. And if you guys wanted a game or something, that'd be great. But I'm a Christian, and I, and I just can't do that. That you're willing to take that, that simple stand. When the boss says, I want you to do this, this, and this. And if it's dishonesty, you're willing to say, boss, I... I love my job, and I love working here, and I will be on time, and I will work hard for you, and I will do my best, but I can't, I can't do that. 
because it's not true and I'm a, I'm a Christian and, and I can't do that. Would that cost? Maybe. Maybe cost a job, maybe cost a raise, maybe cost something. But we gotta get to the place where we believe and value Christ so much that we are willing to take that risk and trust that he will make up the difference. If you, the worst case scenario, and this is about as worst as it could be in this, in this country right now, if you lose your job for the name of Christ, do you think that he's gonna just, oh, well, I'm never gonna find him a job again. He's done. Do you think that Christ is not big enough to provide your needs? But you gotta be willing to trust the bigness and greatness and vastness of God. These guys do. And it's hard the first time, but it gets easier and easier as time goes on. When I was in high school, my dad coached baseball for me, and I told you this many times, and he was Mr. Marine, and, and a lot of the guys would be scared of the curveball. For those of you who don't know what that means, the curveball comes at you at first, and then it breaks over the plate, and so you have to just have to wait on it because it's going to break. And a lot of guys would be bailing out, and like, strike one, and you know, you're like, just stop getting out of the way of the ball. And so the way he taught us to not be afraid is he would make us stand still, and he'd get our fastest pitcher, and I'm going to forget, Aaron Fedorov. He threw 92 miles an hour. He pitched for Penn State. And he would tell him, throw at him. Try to hit him. And you weren't allowed to move your feet. And so you'd be in there like, oh, my goodness, this is dodgeball like crazy. And so the, but what you learned is you can get out of the way of almost anything without moving your feet. You can, oh, oh, you know. Now, once in a while, I'd get plunked and be like, oh, yeah, you know, hurt. But you'd move on. You'd be all right. But we would sit there. And what it taught us is I'm not going to get hit. And then when the curveball came that looked like it was coming at us, man, we rope it because we trusted we could get out of the way. And some of you need to trust. Maybe once in a while you're going to take a lick, but you need to trust that God is going to come through because he's a big God. And if he's not, then you're trusting him for the salvation of your soul, but he can't provide for you. That's a, that's a big leap. That's where they're at. They so value Christ. And here's what you have to be. Where in your life, identify those areas. Where maybe it's the way you speak to your wife in front of the kids. Maybe it's the way you talk about your husband behind his back. Maybe it's the way you work. Maybe it's some hidden behavior addiction. But where are you not valuing Christ because you're being disobedient? You gotta identify that. And I trust the spirit of God in you enough that you know this is an area of struggle. A day in the life means we've so valued Christ that we, that we are willing to put that aside because we, we love him. And then the last one, and I think the most challenging, is that when we value Christ like them, we will have joy despite circumstances. I mean, how do you get ripped to shreds and then start rejoicing, verse 41, and then go right back to the place that you got beat? How do you do that? And again, that, we don't relate to getting beat like that, but think about your week. What was that one, some of you know, that one circumstance that has been running through the week and it's just an issue and it's some, for some of you it's huge, you just found out a friend had cancer. For some of you, you know your job's done in six weeks. Maybe some of you it's just a little hindrance or whatever, but what is that circumstance that things are not going your way and it is frustrating you? How are you handling that? Are you rejoicing in it? Honest, I get mad at the dumbest things. The power washer doesn't work yesterday, I'm mad because I can't have a clean porch, really? But see, what these, these, these bad circumstances reveal is where our heart is and that I'm not believing in that moment that God is good and has my best. That's what I'm believing because I'm not in control. 
How, how do you rejoice in the middle of tough circumstances? I mean, that's a great question for us to answer, isn't it? How can I rejoice in that? And the only solution I have is this. You have to come back to the simple truth at knowing who loves you more than anyone. Not your mama. Jesus loves you more than anyone. Who has given you more than anyone could ever give you? He has. Who cares for you more than anyone ever? He has. He has loved us with a divine, sovereign, perfect love. And here's, how, here's what Spurgeon says in light of that. I love the great Spurgeon. This is what he says. He says, remember this, Christian. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are in, divine love would have put you there. Think about that. If God loves you so much, then, then why is God allowing me to be in this if he loves me? Because he does love you. And the question you have to ask in the middle of the circumstances, whether it's hard job, whatever it is, is what, Lord Jesus, are you trying to teach me in this? That's the question. It's a hard question, but you got to ask it. You got to ask it, Christian. What, Lord Jesus, are you trying to teach me in this? Are you trying to teach me perseverance? These guys, what do they say? They are just thankful that they get to be counted worthy to suffer. They get to experience a little bit of pain, just like Jesus. They're, try, they're, they're learning the significance of the hope that, that is in them. What is God trying to teach you in that, that struggle with your teenager? With that job that you really wish you didn't have, that financial issue, with that health issue? He's try, he loves you so much. He's trying to show you something. He's trying to make you more like himself somehow. But we got to let him. Because that's the only way we can say it as well. That is the only way we can say it as well with our soul if we know that he loves us. And we know he does because he tells us. So ask. And how powerful is it? Think about how powerful, how, how undefeatable are a bunch of people. You threaten them, you can't scare them. You beat them, you can't run them off. It's like cockroaches, they just show up everywhere. It's just a powerful thing when you can't steal the joy from people, no matter what you do to them. It's a powerful thing. It's the most powerful. That's why these guys were witnesses. You beat them, you threaten them, you kill them, and they keep showing up. That's the message of Christ, the message of the Messiah. A day in the life people-oriented, obedience and joy. It comes only from Christ. Putting aside jealousy. We're gonna move to worship. And here's what just I, I ask. I just, you would just ask the Spirit to, to speak to you where you're at and whatever it is. Maybe it's a jealous issue. Maybe it's an obedience issue. Maybe it's a, I haven't cared for these people well. That you would just deal with that. Deal with it. Cast it at the feet of the loving Savior. He forgives us. And then let's, let's joyfully worship together. Right? Let's, let's remember his love for us. Remember that he died for us. He loves us and he continually loves us. Despite your performance, despite what you, how bad or good a week you had, he doesn't love you more or less. He loves you so much he showed it already. He can't give you any more. So let's just respond to that and worship as his people and leave not angry eyebrow guy, joyful despite circumstances, knowing that divine love, if there was any other place that would be better for you, that God would have put you there.
right? And so we'll just stay seated for a few moments, and when you feel ready to stand after a few moments, you guys can do so as we worship. Let me pray. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. I thank you for this little snapshot of the apostles' lives. It's encouraging. It's challenging. Father, let us put aside anything jealous in us, and let us pursue valuing you, whatever that looks like in each of our lives. By your spirit, show us. You've given us this this spirit of Christ to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, to shepherd us, to point us in the direction that you want us to be, to make us more like you. And so we ask, even if it means there's a beating, that you would make us more like Christ, that you would give us his hope, that you would give us his desire and love for people, Lord, Um, that even in a hard place where it's radical, that we would be willing to follow you and take up our cross. It's in his precious name we pray.